Welcome to Leading Women, your place to share and celebrate real stories and access the tools and resources you need to activate your leadership. I'm Ginny Olney, Head of Combank's Women in Focus, and Leading Women is just one of the ways we support women at all stages of their business journey. So, no matter where you are on your journey, we're here. Enjoy this episode as we redefine the business landscape together. Welcome to Leading Women, the place to ignite your leadership and elevate equality. I'm your host, Shade Zarai, and today's conversation is centered around relationships and service, both essential foundations for building a base of loyal clients and activating your industry leadership. And today's conversation, our guest, Julie Drago, CEO of Hero Properties, brings this conversation to life beautifully. Julie builds on the value of relationships, how to be seen and heard in a male-dominated industry, and how important it is to be involved at an industry level to be able to shift the business landscape. Thanks so much for joining us, Julie, on Leading Women from WA. Thanks very much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. I can't wait to dive right in. So, Julie, can you share with us the story of your humble leadership journey? Okay, so my parents immigrated from Italy in the late or early early 60s, um, coming here uh, pretty much unskilled. Through the 70s, my father established a large fabrication business that he ran successfully for around 30 years. I was very fortunate to be able to have the opportunity to go from a very young age to work in the facility in my school holidays, uh, weekends. I think that's where I'd sort of developed my passion for fabrication and workshops in that industry. And then throughout that, the next sort of 15 years, we spent a considerable amount of time building the business up to, uh, you know, tackle huge projects all around WA. We built a lot of the high rise in the city, a lot of the Northwest Shelf we did the fabrication for. And then in the early 2000s, we decided as a family to concentrate more on developing, which is something that we've always done. And then we basically decided to close the fabrication business down and lease out the facility. And then over the next 10 years, we've last 20 years actually, we've spent a considerable amount of time developing industrial property. So we basically build large workshops and lease them out to mining, oil and gas, multinational companies. And then, you know, to me, it's, it's about the developing those relationships to expand the portfolio with tenants that within our group, but also outside of it. Uh, two years ago, I was appointed CEO, and now I spend considerable amount of time working on developing more relationships with companies that within our group, but also external to our group, to try and encourage them to come as what we call part of our family. Julie, you're thriving in a male-dominated industry and environments, including politics. Can you share with yeah. us some of the barriers that you might have faced and some of the practical ways that you've actually navigated through those? You know, growing up in a really male-dominated industry such as uh, fabrication. I didn't really work a lot with women apart from in the administration roles, uh, which I wasn't sort of heavily involved in. And then moving through to being involved in the property council and in the Labor Party, it's been an interesting journey. I, I think the biggest thing that I've learned from all of that is that growing up, and this is one of the things that my father was great at encouraging me to do, was just to step up and back yourself because I think going into these environments, very often I would be the only women in a room. Um, 
And I, I just had to very early on just believe in what I was doing and what I was saying and that I did have a voice that maybe people would listen to because I think that's just you're your own worst enemy, whether you really believe in yourself or not. It's just taking that chance to step yourself forward. Julie, I know you're an advocate when it comes to women amplifying our natural skills and our strengths around communication, empathy, connection, building trust. Why do you feel this this is so important for women to really embrace? I think as a woman, you know, we are naturally more empathetic. And when we look at problems, you know, we can look at the problem from both sides of the argument. And sometimes you can get hung up on trying to win an argument, but being more open and understanding about where the other person is coming from enables us to be really good negotiators. And that's how I tackle things all the time. If I'm in a negotiation with someone and there's a dispute, I always put my hat on about how would I be feeling if I was on the other side and and then trying to find a middle ground. So I guess that's probably really important to, to have that empathy and understanding about where they're coming from. But also having um, some great communication because that's really important too, to let them understand about why we are in this situation and what we're trying to achieve jointly because I really believe in win-win. You know, there's no, you know, you can always try and go to the extra mile and come out on top and have the best outcome for you. But most times it's better if you meet in the middle because if you both walk away knowing that you've got an outcome that's acceptable to both of you, okay, you might not think it's fantastic, but it's a it's a mediated outcome, then I think that's a great way to come out of a discussion or even to come out of a negotiation. So that empathy and communication is so important. And I think as a, as a woman, we can draw on that easier than what, say, some men can do. I'm completely with you. Aiming for these win-win environments and outcomes is far better for both parties. And to your point, it's really leveraging that authentic empathy that a lot of women naturally possess. Now, one of the things many women face, especially those earlier in their careers in male-dominated environments, is navigating this first impression judgment that sometimes comes from others and the thoughts in their mind about, do I belong here? What are they thinking about me? Am I competent? And it can almost sabotage them. Now, I know that uh, you've been able to break through that barrier and you've been able to gain visibility across councils and the Labor Party. Can you talk to us about how you're doing this and how you're really leveraging networks and events? I guess the thing is, is that I had to really early on stop questioning myself because that was one of the things that you just get so caught up on in every meeting you would go into, you'd be like, well, am I being portrayed correctly here or what? Do they really know who I am or what I stand for? So I guess one of the the first things I do is when I go into a meeting is, you know, like introduce myself and then very quickly get into the conversation about this is what I think and what um, I want out of this, you know, like so that I, I I can come across not too forward, but at least someone understands my point of view pretty early on. Because I think if you don't put yourself out there, you're never going to know. And I really sh- struggled right early on in the beginning when I first joined the property council because I hadn't been as active as what I am now in, in the council. Uh, I really struggled to get that barrier through my mind to just put myself out there and and really speak up because that's the hardest thing to do. And then once you do that, you, you know, it just gets easier. It gets easier after time and you stop questioning about whether I belong because you've you know that you can add value and you do add value. So 
that was probably early on. But now I'm a lot more confident in what I do. So I find it a little bit easier. And the same with the uh, Labor Party. You know, we go to a lot of functions. And so I'm, I'm constantly meeting new people and I'm just, you know, constantly talking about what my opinions are and what we think we can do to improve things. And I love that you highlighted this this challenge a lot of women have because you were sharing how you are very good at going in and being very clear about what you're looking for. So you've got that assertiveness factor. And I know a lot of women struggle with balancing the it's warmth and competence, really. And so the warmth comes naturally. And then they're reluctant to move into the assertiveness space because they're afraid of, again, am I going to be too pushy? Will I come across as bossy? What will they think of me? So you've found this balance between the two, which is so fundamental for women when it comes to gaining respect. And then you said as well, once you do it once, it's easy to just keep doing it because you realize it's not as big and scary. So for someone who is at that point where they are their biggest obstacle and they are holding themselves back, what piece of guidance would you give them to help them just take that first step? I think they need to ask themselves what can go wrong. The worst thing is you go to a meeting and you don't speak at all. I had this with a, a girl that I was mentoring a couple of years ago and, you know, she said to me, I'd regularly go to a meeting and my boss would be there talking and, you know, I knew this subject better than him but I wouldn't get up and say because I just left it to him because it was easier. And I said, but that's that's not you. You know, you you know a lot of this information, you you know a lot about it. What can go wrong? If you get up there and say something, you just question yourself that what can possibly go wrong? And then once you get over that hurdle, you'll realize pretty quickly that, wow, I've got a voice and I can use this. And it's very powerful. I love how you said that. You've got a voice and you can use it. And I think what happens to a lot of women is they're so focused on listening to the voice inside their heads, which is reminding them falsely, that they are not ready, that they don't know enough, that they shouldn't put their hand up, that something may go wrong. And they're giving that voice more power than their physical voice. And then by listening to that, they're never going to get the visibility and they're completely holding themselves back, which is such a shame because you see so many women, unfortunately, completely falling short. Now, when it comes to speaking up and being vocal and being visible, one of the things that, again, women sometimes have in their minds is how much should I share and how vocal and how visible should I be? Do you have any guidance on this or experiences from your own personal life or what you've seen? Um, I think, you know, you can always overshare, which is not good either. Um, but I think, you know, bringing in your own personal experiences to meetings and to situations is really important because you need to understand that your what you've experienced is relevant to the discussion. So I think you have to also just balance that with there are, you know, other people in the room as well. So, you know, you, you can't take it all over, but bringing those those personal experiences I think is really important because then that also sets the scene for you so that people can understand you, where you're coming from. So I think that's really important. And I want to highlight something you shared earlier as well, how you said earlier in your career when you were in a room full of men, you were sometimes saying to yourself, do I belong here? Am I here to tick a box? Am I just filling a quota? And if you, again, listen to those thoughts, it completely holds you back. But you said, well, that got you in the room and it doesn't matter why you're in the room, you're in the room and you're going to yeah. use that voice and actually speak up, which I think is such a fantastic lesson for all of us. 
every woman everywhere really needs to remind themselves that we have a voice and we will use it. So there's a story that I'd love for you to share. It's around being on the incubator board and an experience that you had when it came to speaking up, because I think it really highlights this theme of using that voice that we've been given. Yes. Yeah. So a few years ago, I think it's probably like five or 10 years ago now, I was on an incubator centre board. The council invited me to come along and join this incubator centre, which is where they they subsidise operators or small businesses that are coming out of, say, being commercialised in their garage, moving into, you know, a subsidised rental accommodation, and then that allows them to grow their business and then hopefully move into a fully commercialised space. So they invited me to sit on their board because they thought I had input in the, the commercial industrial sector, which was great. But I remember first my first couple of meetings when we met, when we, when we had these meetings, and I remember going in and asking, you know, they were saying, oh, we've, we've got a waiting list 10 miles long. All these people uh, want to come into this centre. It's so great. And I said, oh, just to ask a stupid question here, you know, how long is, are people allowed to incubate in the centre? And they said, oh, we don't have a time limit. And I can to, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, like you must push, if someone's an incubator business, it's, you know, that's one, no wonder why no one can come in. So I guess it was just me as an external person coming in and who hadn't been on this council because this, this board had been around for a while. And as an external person that hadn't been involved in it at all, come in to ask what I thought was a stupid question, but was completely relevant because from then on, then they went and set up all these timelines now. We need to, you know, someone's business needs to be now commercialized. So then they went on and created a policy around, well, you can stay in here for this period of time. And, you know, so it was a really obvious thing that me, I was thinking I'm, I'm asking a really silly question, but it was turned out to be so relevant. It was funny. And had you listened to the voice in your head that may have been saying, who are you to say anything? You're new here. You wouldn't have said it, right. but you were courageous right. and you asked the question. That's right. And it's such a great one as well, because so often being a new person in an environment actually gives you a unique perspective and it gives you the ability to ask questions that other people might not have even considered because, hey, well, that's just how we've always done things. And so this idea of being courageous and being curious and asking the right questions, this story illustrates perfectly that Actually, everyone else probably will agree with you if you ask, or at least it gets them thinking in a different way. So such a brilliant example of that. Now, throughout our conversation so far, you've been highlighting the absolute importance of relationships and how relationships are such a solid foundation for leadership. Could you tell us a little bit more about your philosophy on relationships and how it's really in your blood? Okay. So I spoke a little bit earlier about how we talk about the wider tenants uh, group within our portfolio as part of our family. I don't say that word loosely because we we generally do believe that because I spend so much time with all of my tenants and um, going there to understand their business because their business is really backing my business. So the relationship that we have is really important to me because I think that if they have a problem and if there's something that's an issue with the building or they want more space, I then go there and leverage them and, and move them into another building. And it happens all the time. I've just recently completed a 10,000 square meter building in, in Forestfield and it was an existing tenant that I grew them from a small building into a larger one over the 15 years. So it, it's something that I see that might not be a return tomorrow, but it's in you know 10 years or it's part of my thinking about 
they need to think of me as part of their business and therefore when there's an issue or when they need something more, they come to me. And so that relationship is so important and it means that I'm doing things which probably fall outside of what you would consider a normal a landlord-tenant relationship. Like I help people design wash pads in their in their workshop or uh, I've got a tenant that's in scrap metal and I help him with his environmental approvals. Uh, you know, so I, there's, I'm doing all this stuff outside of what I would normally do, but I do it because it's relationship building. And I know that it will eventually help me in the long run. And then, you know, that's why we don't lose any tenants. Very, very few tenants leave our portfolio. And the only time that will happen is, you know, obviously if the business ceases to exist, but that doesn't happen very often. So for me, it's so super duper important. And that's what I would like to spend 95% of my time on. Right now, it's something that I've, I'm, I'm struggling with to try and get more time to do that, but it is, it is so important. And I always like to call it the care factor. It's actually genuinely caring about what you do and the people that you're serving and the companies that you're serving, the clients, the customers. Because at the end of the day, when you strip away the lens of business, it's people that are being impacted. And that care factor is so core to building relationships. It is. And it's also taking a longer term view of things because I think people always are so, they're so focused on a short term gain. But And that's the same with relationships, right? You're never going to have a short-term relationship. It's going to take years to build, to build that trust, to build that rapport with people. And you need to think about a longer-term gain. And this was very um, obvious to us when when COVID first came along and in the pandemic. And we had the uh, Commercial Tenancies Act that came through WA, which followed pretty much the federal code as well. And, you know, some tenants came to us and asked for rent relief and I didn't need the government to come and mandate it because we were already doing it anyway. It's in our thinking, you know, if someone was forced to close, I was already with them saying, you know, you don't have to pay rent. We'll work something through to you because it's in our long-term gain to make sure that this tenant survives and therefore is still part of our portfolio in 10 years' time. So having that long-term view is so crucially important and that's the same in leadership as well. You need to be thinking thinking about it in long-term viewpoint. And on that theme of being strategic about relationships in business, and you highlighted in leadership as well, how can we take that concept and apply it for women on the journey? How can they apply that view of being strategic when it comes to networking, when it comes to relationship building? What are some tips that you want to share with them? So I guess the probably the biggest thing is do your research before you go to an event. Like Apart from get involved, go to events and find out, you know, where you think, you know, you can have some input. But before you go, do some research and, you know, if you're following some people on LinkedIn that you you like or that you think, oh, that person is really valuable, I really like to get to know them, figure out who they are and then actively go up to them and say, look, I'm really interested in what you've done here and here and have that conversation. Don't try and be so random about it because networking is not like that. I mean, if that's what you do and just go to an event and just pick the nearest person next to you and start talking to them, you're not going to really get as much out of it as what you could. You know, you need to you need to actively think about it and be a little bit strategic in who you want to develop those relationships with. And then once you figure out who that person is, is actively follow them up because I can't tell you how many people have come up to me at events and then I've never heard from them again. 
You know, there's no point in doing that. That's not networking is not about one meeting. It might it might be ten meetings before you're going to have what you would be considering a mentee mentor relationship or a you know a peer to peer relationship. It doesn't happen over one or two meetings. It's a long a longer time view of it. You're so right there. The value of following up is so important. And I would also offer the tip that if anyone is following up, include where you met the person, because sometimes they'll follow up with you months later and you actually don't remember where you met them from. So it's a great little tip. Include where you met them, include maybe one key thing that you've discussed. And again, it's leveraging those skills that we have around relationship building and connection. One other thing I'd love to touch on around relationships is there any value in building relationships with competitors? Yes. Yeah, and this is one of the things that was really interesting to me because a lot of people say to me all the time, uh, why are you so actively involved in the property council and, you know, you sit on committees with your competitors? And I actually think it's actually an amazing, fortunate thing to be doing because you only have one voice to make change, but if you all get together and talk about the problems that you're all facing, then I think your voice is a lot more powerful and you do get a lot out of it. I mean, we don't actively share, you know, what deals we're working on and all that, but we all are challenged with the same problems. So, it's it's hugely beneficial. I've got really great relationships with a lot of our competitors in Perth and Perth is a very small um, town probably to, to the East Coast in terms of the industrial space. You know, I can count on one hand the number of industrial developers in Perth. So, but we all know each other and we all have respect for each other and we all get along and, and we all talk about the same issues. And I think it's really important, especially if you're part of an industry advocacy uh, body, you need to you need to have that kind of input with all of you being there together. And it's a lot stronger. It's a stronger argument. And it's very much around almost leaving ego at the door and not viewing it as competition, but viewing it as collaborators who are all trying to move in the same direction. And of course, you can be commercially savvy about that and not share your company secrets or what you're doing. But it it highlights again your approach, even when it comes to negotiation around this win-win mentality that you have. Yes, that's what I was going to say about the win-win too With, with in terms of your, competi- your competitors. I mean, you, you can't literally win every deal. You know, they're going to win one, you'll win one. That's it. That's life, you know. You, if you, and if you think like that, you'll have a lot better relationship with your competitors. That's life. I love it. Absolutely right. So, Julie, as you know, at Leading Women, we are committed to activating women's leadership. And our unique impact is that each amazing guest offers a tangible tool that's helped them on their leadership journey. And we add that into our leadership toolbox to help us elevate equality. So what would you be adding for us today? So I think that um, the most important thing you can do in any in any business is, is get involved with your industry body, figure out what that is, and then actively go and participate. You know, start out going to their events and then try and actively get onto some committees and, and be actively involved. It, it does take a bit of work. Like when I spent a lot of time doing this, but it gives you a huge amount of benefits because not only are you able to help change things in your industry that you know that frustrate you like a, for us our biggest issue in, in industrial is is approvals and you know navigating the red tape around getting developments off the ground so being as part of the, involved in the property council we're able to 
lobby the government and figure out ways to try and make our business easier. So get involved with an industry body and figure out where you could, your voice can be the most benefit and where you can make the most change. Because um, there's no point complaining about something. Get involved and be active about changing it. Yeah, do something about it. Absolutely. Mm. Take action. Well, Julie, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. You've given some wonderfully tangible tools around visibility, speaking up, overcoming the inner critic and that self-doubt that many women have, and really leveraging feminine strengths around relationship building and connecting. So I want to thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. Thanks very much for having me, Shadow. It's been really good to talk about some of this stuff that I don't really think about too much in my mind. It just, it just comes naturally to me, but it's, yeah, it's great to talk about it. What an encouraging conversation. We're looking forward to you joining us next episode. Until then, share this episode with the women leaders you know, and let's activate leadership together. Thanks for listening to Leading Women, where we can all activate leadership and redefine the business landscape. So now it's over to you. Access the links, tips and tools discussed in this episode at womeninfocus.com.au. Subscribe to Leading Women so you don't miss an episode. Leave a review, spread the word, and let's commit to keeping the conversation going at hashtag leadingwomenAUS.